skills like in the army anyway like in basic training now that that's <laughs> you feel me like that was i remember when i had my birthday in basic training and girls was coming out there like they had made me like a little party in the barracks like we couldn't go nowhere so they sectioned off a part of the barracks with like like bed sheets and they made me like a little vip section and I'm in the section and they like only certain soldiers can go back there. And so I'm just getting like dances and all types of like little stuff in the bear. Like it was lit, bro. I was like <laughs> magnet, bro. It was crazy. What's up, everybody? And welcome to the Queerly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley, and I'm so happy you came by. The Queerly Black Show aims to normalize the everyday existence of black LGBTQIA plus individuals through an interview style series with regular folks like you and me. So every week, a new guest shares their story and unique perspective on their existence as an LGBTQIA plus individual. Thank you for tuning in and make sure you subscribe, download, set your reminders to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Curly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley. I'm joined today by a very special guest. We got Wit in the building. Wit, tell the people about yourself. What up, y'all? What up? It's your girl, Wit, a.k.a. Wit the Drummer, a.k.a. Whitley. Um, I'm from Decatur, Georgia. Hey. Um, I moved to L.A. right before the pandemic, and I've been here ever since, just kicking it and just, you know, seeing what, this, what the state is all about. Um, nice. So far, it's cool, but, you know, we out here yeah yes indeed so we're we gonna we gonna dive into that um yeah. before before we get into that i have to start you off like i start off every other guest and i gotta know when did you know you like the ladies oh that's a good question honestly <laughs> i knew when i was like 10 years old bruh i had a crush on the pastor of the church we was going to i like oh, man i liked his daughter mm-hmm. like both of them for real um but like one of them she just was like at the time, the most prettiest girl I had ever seen. And I just, I guess what it would be like, I developed what we would call a crush, I guess, but I never acted on it. It was just like something that I just knew, like, man, she's just so beautiful. I just want to hug her and just like, you know, but nothing ever became of it. And then like, from then on, I guess I just started to like attract females after that. Like they just started coming to me as I started to grow into my own. And it's just been with me ever since, you feel me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how was uh so 10? Um how how did you express that through high school, elementary? Um were you were you out or was it like an acknowledgement of liking and then you was like, "Ah, but we can't do that." Like what was your journey through through grade school? Yeah, so to be honest, um it's kind of weird. So I only have one sibling, an older brother. And so the way my mom would like dress me, I kind of was dressed kind of like unisex slash masculine anyway like if I wasn't getting my brother's hand-me-downs she would always go to the old navy and buy us the same track suits in the same color or whatever the case may be so I feel like you know gay or not I probably would have had a similar style and I think just from by me being a drummer like for real in real life I always was like on go like I never wanted to wear dresses because I'm just like how you how you gonna play drums in a dress Mm -hmm. and you know at the time, I guess my mom didn't really want to explain to me that, well, you know, it's what girls do, da, 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 da. And eventually it just became like my style, like the unisex thing became my style. And then I just started, you know, hanging around certain people and just attracting certain people out the, you know, out the crowd. And it just became like, but when I was in like middle school and high school, I was really focused just on playing drums. And then I used to just get girls from just being the girl on the drum line. Or, you know, I used to have a little two little Bow Wow braids. The little Allen Iverson brand. Yeah. Like, I always been like a little cutie for real. So 
um that was just something that just always then my personality has always been pretty dope so I always like attracted a lot of different people but it wasn't really until I was in high school until like I was like well maybe you know I really could entertain this but my parents really wasn't trying to like they really wasn't on that tip for real yeah. like low-key they both was ministers mm -hmm. so I'm a PK Mm -hmm. So like I was raised on like learning Bible scripture every morning, Bible study on Wednesday, choir practice yeah. on Thursday, church on Sunday. So it's just like, man. And for a long time, people never knew that I was my mother's daughter because she was one of the top ministers in the church and I was who I was. And so when people put so two like, it together, can't be. She yeah, can't that's literally, be that's literally what they said. Like, yeah. this is your mama. And I'm like, yeah, we got the same last name. They didn't ever put two and two together. And so when they finally did put two and two together, I mean... I didn't really care much because I, I never really care what people, you know, thought about me, but she did. Mm -hmm. And so then she kind of got a little bit more strict and tried to, you know, assert some, some sort of control. But by then, my personality was already what it was. I wasn't like no bad person. I wasn't doing no mm -hmm. regular stuff and then like that. But I had already decided I'm going to be who I'm going to be. And there's nothing you could do about it. And so she didn't accept it at first. I ain't even going to hold you. But like, I never got like kicked out the house and nothing like that. Um, by the time I really came out, I was already a, a senior in high school getting ready to go to college. And I yeah. feel like my family already knew, like, once I leave this bit, can we cuss on you? Yeah, you straight. Okay. Uh -huh. Once I leave this motherfucker, like, I'm not looking back. So that's what it was. So I think it was important to them to understand, like, you might want to, whatever memories you want of me, you might want to cherish those because like, I'm the type of person, like, once I commit to something, like I'm gone with it and like I'm just it's just the confidence it's like so for me after I got out of the house it really wasn't nothing they could do and then I just started living my life for me and that was really it but there was never really like an official conversation now as I'm, I'm 34 years old today a lot of times my mom you know now seeing how I've lived my life I've done so many things the army the tv industry all this Berkeley all this kind of stuff she always tries to, well, you know, I accept you no matter how you are. And I'm like, well, that's good to know. But yeah. I'm not a kid anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't care if you do or not. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm but it's here. just cool, you know, that she came around, you know, yeah. to her own. But I still, like, I don't be talking about, like, my girlfriends and stuff with my mom and my dad. It's just weird. You feel me? Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, it's, it's definitely... <laughs> Especially when you know they they kind of had a opinion about it. Like, like old we school. Don't really yeah. need to talk. We don't, exactly. We don't need like, to do this. I don't want your advice on it. I don't want <laughs> to see it back in your day and all this shit. Like, nah, I'm good, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you started drumming when you were young. Absolutely, absolutely. I started drumming when I was like two years old. I ain't even gonna hold you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with you uh, and you went to Berkeley. So mm -hmm. talk about your your career just as a drummer, like starting from like really young and like when you knew that you were going to be a drummer. I think like we hear a lot of stories about people that are singers or like rappers yeah. and they're like, I knew since I was two, I was going to be a rapper. You know, you're a real life drummer, right? Like yeah. how, how did you decide that that was like the path for you? Um, I think God decided. I ain't even going to hold you. It wasn't something that I picked. Um, My dad told me that, you know, when I was just eight months old, they used to take me to church and I would sit on my dad's lap in the church and I would just always be drawn to the drummer for some reason. And I would cry if I wasn't sitting in a place where I could see him play. And like my dad would tell me every time he would get up and move and I couldn't see the drummer, I would cry. And only it wasn't until he brought me back where I could see the drummer again that I would stop crying. So I don't know what that attraction was, but I feel like, you know, that's really where I really first got introduced into it. And then, you know, just from two years old, banging on pots and pans, 
it became that. And then that evolved into me getting my very first drum set when I was like five years old. I asked for, you know, a drum set with all the bells and whistles. But of course, my parents got me what they could afford. Yeah. And then um, my parents, them being ministers, they started the church in our in the basement of our home in Georgia. So I became the drummer for the church. And then that's, that's it right there. Yeah, that's all that's the practice you need. <laughs> Six days a week. <laughs> exactly. As a matter of fact, this is my set right now. Oh, nice. My little kid right there behind me. Um, but the rest is history from then. Um, once I got into like grade school and stuff. Uh, elementary school it really wasn't much drumming it was just me you know going to grade school but you you know the the artist um he goes by Bando Jones now he used to be called Lil Corey oh yeah yeah so I actually I had an audition for him when I was uh -huh. like 12 um the audition I think the audition went well but he had experienced some issues with his management so like things okay. never really went anywhere but I ran back into him like several years later when he became Bando Jones this is after I got out of the military and I jumped right back into audio engineering after I got out the military and I saw him in the studio and I'm like, Corey? Mm -hmm. And he like, Whitley? And and ever since then, like he knew who I was, I knew who he was. And I'm like, whoa, he was like, no, I'm Bendo Jones now. You know what I mean? I'm like, nigga, you Corey, nigga. Right, right. <laughs> right. He's like, oh yeah. So he started telling people, yeah, man, she used to play drums for me, da 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 da. It was just all love. Like, so drums was really like, when I was a kid, like once I got into, um high school the band excuse me middle school the band teacher told me I, I had to play clarinet because that's what the girls play and so she made me go home with a clarinet and my mama was like what the fuck is that you know what I mean like yeah we not you don't play no clarinet she, she did this number right here and we went yeah. to the school we feel me get that back to her yeah, <laughs> get, yeah, that exactly. get that <laughs> snare exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> So she told the lady, my daughter, da, 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 woo, woo, woo. but really, I think with my mom, that's also when I learned too, you know, how important it is to, to be vocal and um, self-advocate. And, you know, that's when she, I saw her give a piece of her mind to the band teacher and I became a drummer ever since. The rest is history. After that, I made first chair in middle school. Then I started, uh, I made the high school marching band in eighth grade and then um, got promoted from tenor drum to like snare drum now we really now play time over this the bit leads now mm -hmm. and I became the only girl on the drum line and it just I just stuck with it it just was something that no other girl was doing but for me I felt like all the other instruments they ain't really get enough attention I ain't even gonna hold you like nobody seemed to be paying attention to the clarinet player like it just wasn't attractive to me and I just I've always had like this badass mentality so I was just like how cool would that be if little old me would just be like oh excuse me I got it and yeah. So yeah. We are. It's a brand now. Yeah, dope. So when did you when did you have like your first experience where you knew like okay, this after the military after college, like I'm gonna be a drummer. Like that's my career. For sure. That's, that's, that's what question. I'm gonna do. Absolutely. Um when I got out of the army, I was really at a um I was really lost as a person. I didn't know what to do with my life. I felt like, you know, damn, you, if you ain't finished, you ain't do 20 years in the army, then what are you going to do? Like what are your skills? Da, da, da. And I had a conversation with my mom and I was like, mom, what do I do now? And she just simply asked me if money wasn't a factor, what could you do for the rest of your life for fun? Yeah. And I was like, it sounded silly, but I was like, that's easy, play drums. And she was like, well, that's your calling. That's what you're supposed to be doing then, baby. Like, that's what you, that's what you need to walk yeah. in. And so it, like I said, it sounded silly. I didn't have a plan, but uh, for me, whether or not it was drums I felt like it was going to be something music related because I've always been um, musically inclined. Like I don't just play drums. I also play piano and I dabble a little bit with bass guitar. Um, so I really just needed to 
find something to put all of those skills under one umbrella and use them. And that's really when it just dawned on me, like, man, you're skilled at so many different things, music production, you can write songs, you can write music for other instruments, you can write lyrics, you can rap. I actually did a, I recorded a rap song when I was 15 with a rapper. He used to go by the name of Hitman, Sammy Sam. He made this song called Step Daddy. I'm going to call uh -huh. you. Call my mama. I'm gonna I'm tell you. So tell my mama. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so like, yeah, because you ain't my dad. Exactly, yeah. that one right there. So we actually uh, did a song in the studio when I was 15, and that's when I got, you know, that's when I learned, like, oh, you can rap too. So it really just was about me just trying to find a way to put it all together. And for me, um, I was just like, well, if I'm gonna be a drummer or a musician, I definitely want to be the best I can be, and that sure. means I gotta go to the best school. So that's how Berkeley came into play. And um, the rest is history. Like, so you went to college after the military? I went before and after. Oh, I was, okay. Yeah, I was in college when I joined. I was at Valdosta State University. Um, I joined during my second year, during my sophomore year. I finished my sophomore year and then went to basic training that summer. And then um, when I, I tried to continue when I was in, but it's kind of hard. I ain't going to hold you. Like, it's a lot going on. War, shooting and all this. I ain't trying to go to class. And then after it was all over, I was just like, I just did a complete like 180 and went the other way. Like no military stuff. When I knew I was getting out, I was bringing my drums to work with me in the army practicing. And everybody was laughing at me. They thought it was, uh, they thought I was trolling. Mm -hmm. And I was like, nah, bro. They kept asking me, what you gonna do next? I say, I'm gonna go to Berkeley and y'all gonna pay for it. Mm -hmm. And they thought it was a joke, but jokes on them now. You feel mm -hmm. me? Yeah, so, there you go. Yeah. What? So what? Um, I mean, I, I think I'm I'm interested to know about your journey into the military because mm -hmm. I think obviously being queer in the military has always been kind of a yeah. hot topic. Mm -hmm. Um, what sparked your decision to go, and then how was your experience in the military? Absolutely. Um, so at the time, I was just looking for a way to just come into my own. At Valdosta State, um, I felt like it was a very racist town. Um, not like Atlanta; it's a very small town. Um. Some things had happened on my campus specifically that kind of showed me like where I was at. They have this saying where they say, once you leave Atlanta, you're back in Georgia, if you know yeah. what I mean. Uh -huh, 100%. But the state is very much so in deep South Georgia. And they had some things going on down there that just rubbed a lot of the students the wrong way, particularly students of color. So most of the students that came down there from Atlanta, they all transferred back to Georgia State because they were just, they were just one with the shits at all. And so I was trying to get my parents to let me transfer too, because you ain't finna leave me down here with these folks, you feel me? Mm -hmm. But my mom, I had got a scholarship to get into college. And she was like, nope, you got a scholarship. You're going to stick it out. We don't quit. Da -da -da. I'm like, mom, but you don't understand. Like, this ain't it. Like, these folks racist. Like, the teachers was racist. Like, they be throwing my test papers on the ground and stuff. Like, we can't have it. And so she was just like, no, no, no. And so one Friday, I went to a football game. And the recruiters was all out there on the yard and everybody had they set up the marine guy was doing pull-ups and stuff the air force guy was like reading a book the navy guy was doing push-ups the army guy had the hummer the h3 hummer with the like the 50 inch flat screen in the back playing call of duty on the xbox like, oh, that's i was just like oh <laughs> like i want that one you know let me like what is he doing why he having fun and y'all not you feel me? so that's what really got my attention and then um, that guy that I spoke to turned out to be my recruiter. And for me, it wasn't even something that I planned. It was really a spur of the moment type of thing. Like I never had it in my plans that I was going to join the military. I was studying um, sports medicine in college. I wanted to be an athletic trainer. So um, I got to talking to him and he was explaining it to me, telling me what it was. And I was like, bro, 
if it's that easy, why everybody not doing it? Because that just sounds too good to be true. It probably is. He was like, nah, everybody not doing it because they can't do it. They not qualified or whatever the case. So I'm just like, all right, well, I'll take your little test or whatever, but I ain't saying I'm a join, but I'll take the test. You feel yeah. me? Ass bad. I scored really high on the test. And that really, once recruiters see you pass that test and you score really high, that's really when you have their attention. They're like, oh, this is somebody that might potentially could do something. Yeah. And so from there, I just kept going with it. And for me, it was just a way out of that town, Valdosta. And I'll tell you, like, the year after I joined, that's when the whole Kendrick Johnson situation happened mm -hmm. about the teenager who was found rolled up in the gym mat. And mm -hmm. uh, his organs had been, you know, taken out and replaced with newspaper and all that. That happened in that same county. And that's the vibe that we all felt when we were down there. It just the town. It was just something about it that just felt it just made us all feel uneasy. Mm -hmm. So it seems like I got out at the perfect time because that could have easily been somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I'm glad I left. Nice. Like, mm -hmm. never back. Yeah. So yeah. then, and then how was your experience in the military? Um, um, I mean, or, and then you can, I don't as much, I don't know what the rules are about military, what you can talk oh, about, what you can't talk about. Are people, I mean, what, what does it look like for a gay person in the military? Um, at the time I was in, they definitely still had, you know, don't ask, don't tell. That was definitely a thing. So there was really no, you know, but I was fortunate enough to be attached to a black unit. You know what I mean? So we, we gonna do us regardless, mm -hmm. but you still had to be like, um, very much closeted. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, don't ask, don't tell, don't nobody talk about it. But if you know, you know, type of thing. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was always me to be honest. I wasn't really checking for a lot of females, like in the army anyway, like in basic training. Now that, that was cool. <laughs> you feel me? Like that was, I remember when I had my birthday in basic training and girls was coming out there. Like they had made me like a little party in the barracks. Like we couldn't go nowhere. So they sectioned off a part of the barracks with like like bed sheets. And they made me like a little VIP section. And I'm in the section and they like only certain soldiers can go back there. And so I'm just getting like dances and all types of like little stuff in the barracks. Like it was lit, bro. I was like <laughs> magnet, bro. It was crazy. I had my locks too. Like I ain't never, nobody never made me cut uh -huh. my locks. Like that was something I was adamant about. Like I'm not, if they would have said you got to cut your hair, I would have just quit because it's just like, nah, bro, I'm good. Mm -hmm. But by the grace of God, I actually started my locks in 2008 um, when I joined the military. And mm -hmm. uh, it just, it was cool. It started off cool, you know, cool experience. My job was dope. My unit was dope. I was with the black people. Um, but then it started, as I started to progress in rank, you know, I started to get a lot more responsibilities. I had to get a lot more serious and grow up. And so with that, just having to deal with people with rank that don't know how to use it or people who abuse their power. That's when things started to get a little rocky because there's a difference between power and authority. Um, like, you know, just because your rank is higher than mine, you might have the power to do something. But if my job requires me to do something that your job requires you not to do, I have the authority to do what my job requires me to do. Yeah. I might not have the power, but I have the authority because mm -hmm. that's my job. So it was a lot of that. I butted heads, you know, towards the end of my career with a lot of officers, um, crazy situation. So my job was supply in the army. So I'm in charge of all military equipment, pencils, paper, toilet paper, machine guns, bulletproof vests, night vision goggles, anything that's government equipment. I'm in charge of it. I keep it in a warehouse. I administer it and I repossess it when people aren't supposed to have it. And so this unit they had years and years and years, 
when one weapon goes missing on a military base, the whole military base gets shut down until it's found. The unit that I was in, they had multiple weapons missing. These are called sensitive items. These items are very dangerous if they get in the hands of the ops. So when one goes missing, it's a big deal. This unit has several weapons missing, several bulletproof vests, several, I mean, enough to make CNN, enough to shut down a whole installation, but this never made the news. So my job as a supply person was to inventory the books and find out how much is missing and how much it costs. And then I have to charge the commander of that unit with the amount that's missing. So in this particular case, and I'm just going to exaggerate the numbers a little bit, this commander had like $40 million worth of stuff missing from his unit from years and years and years of just letting people just take guns and take stuff home when they get out of the army and just, so he didn't want to be charged with it because it would have came out of his paycheck. And so I started getting like, you know, the death threats and uh, if you do this, I'll pull your rank and all this kind of stuff and the Pentagon had to get involved because this became like a federal investigation now because of the amount of things missing. And I pretty much became a whistleblower. Mm. Um, I didn't really have a choice. It's like, this yeah. is my job. If I don't do it, I get a dishonorable discharge. But yeah. if I do do it, these people are going to threaten my life and give me a hard time. So it was yeah. really a lose-lose. Um, so for me, I just kind of pulled the, I'm just going to throw the rock and hide my hand because it's getting dangerous now. Like at no point, did y'all say my yeah. life was going to be threatened when I signed up? So um, I did what I had to do. Yeah. And I had to just get on up out of there. I signed up for eight years and I ended up doing six. And um, just for safety reasons, I had to get on up out of there. But uh, they actually, crazy as it sounds, actually have a, a general discharge under honorable conditions for misconduct for doing what I did. Something that you would probably never hear about. But um, people look wow. at it and they'd be like, how, this is an oxymoron. How can yeah. that be? But it's like, well, it's under honorable conditions. So I still was allowed to keep all of my benefits, uh, you know, after and all of that. But, you know, misconduct. How can you have misconduct under honorable conditions? Well, that's what happened. I was a whistleblower. Had to do what I had to do. Yeah. yeah. But it was cool. It was fun. I loved yeah. it. The physical mm -hmm. training. All that. Loved it. Yeah. That's dope. That's dope. I'm glad you had a good experience, obviously, other than the crazies that you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's all good yeah for sure so um so fast forward a little bit so you moved from georgia to la mm -hmm. uh before covid mm -hmm. talk about that transition and talk about you know life as you know a drummer in la I, if you were drumming in uh georgia talk you know talk about the differences in trying to you know make your way make your name for yourself and kind of get out there so in Atlanta, you know, one thing about Atlanta, you know, I'm from there. So yeah. that's where my people at. That's where my tribe is. That's where all my connections are, everything. Yeah. So it was definitely a big deal for me to just leave it all behind and come to L.A. Um, but excuse me, I definitely um, you ever saw the J. Cole music video from Middle Child? Yeah. So like I got a lot of I'm actually in that video playing drums. Mm. Um, like I definitely got a lot of opportunities. Now I got to go watch it again. Yeah. Just for that. yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, I'm in there. I'm in there. I got a nice little cameo too. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I definitely got a lot of opportunities just from just word of mouth, not even having a, a resume for real, but just people knowing, oh, wit, she, she, when it comes to drumming, like my name was always in the conversations. So just building my resume. Um, I did that. Um, and just like high school and college, like I did a lot of stuff in high school. I played in the Rose Bowl Parade in high school, played snare drum in the Rose Bowl Parade out here. That was my mm -hmm. first taste of California for real. Mm -hmm. That's when I was like, man, I got to come back out here. Like that was like 20, I'm sorry, that was 2006 when I first came out here. I was like, man, I got to make it back. Like this, this is crazy. But I'm like 16 at the time, you know? 
And then um, I guess like what was the question again? I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Sure. Just your transition from Georgia oh, yeah. to LA as a drummer. So then, so yeah, so then when I came out here, when I decided to make the move, I was working in the music industry in Atlanta, um, engineering for like Grand Hustle and like being studio, being a studio runner and all of that for like the Get Door Die 2 mixtape. And I worked around like TI and all the Atlanta people, you feel me? Mm-hmm. But I just felt like I was being undervalued. So I told everybody I was working with, like they kept on asking me to engineer because I had the skills, yeah. but nobody wanted to pay me. So I told them, look, my lease ends uh, August 24th. Uh, if you guys have not cut me a check by this date, I'm out of here, bro. I'm going to LA. And I think people underestimated the means that I had at the time. Cause I was always like low key. I had bread, but I was just, you know, at like you broke. Yeah. What is it? At, so like, could, what yeah. at like you, what did, how did the saying go until, you, until they find out you own the factory or something at like you don't got the bread or some shit, but it was mm-hmm. like that. I was just real low key. And then my lease expired and people thought I was like capping for real. But I was like, I was out of there. I had already sent my stuff two weeks ahead because I knew they wasn't going to pay. He was like, y'all ain't going to pay. Yeah. yeah. And I jumped in the car, jumped in the car, drove out here, me and my dog. Literally, we drove out here in about a Cross week. Cross country. Yep. And as I was driving out here, I got a call from the studio. And it was like, hey, we need you at the studio. Where you at? And I'm like, bro, I'm in Texas, bro. What you talking about? And it was like, Texas, what you mean? I said, I told you I was moving to LA. Well, you thought I was playing? Like, nah, bro. Like, we standing on business. Like, I'm out. Yeah. And it was like, oh, you ain't going to be shit when you get out of it. I remember, specifically remember, God told me, you, you just going to get out there and do the same shit you did in Atlanta. You're not going to do shit. You ain't going to be shit. Da, da, da. I was like, bro, you know, I wow. really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And so the rest is, is history, but I just use that as my motivation. And so yeah. coming out here, music was, drumming has always been like my gateway into things. So once again, I started to get back into the music industry, but I had to start over because don't nobody know me out here. So it's like, how can I get in? Well, I can engineer using Pro Tools. Niggas fuck with Pro Tools. So I can mm-hmm. go in any studio and just really run it up. So I started doing that, making my way. And then boom, COVID. I moved out here September 2019. And then boom, COVID hit. Six like, months later. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, that really shut the whole thing down. And I was let, just like commercial say, sitting at home watching TV and my life was passing me by. And I was just like, damn, how did they get sound on TV? Like, mm-hmm. how did they... That's the thought that I had. And I immediately started researching, like, how do you, how do you do sound for like commercials? And one thing led to another, I called the, ended up calling the union that does sound, the sound union. And they told me about it. And then they told me about a program they had for people like me trying to get in the union and told me, you know, I should be in the, they pitched it to me like, oh, this is for people of color, you know, that wouldn't (laughs) otherwise get the opportunity. Oh, this is perfect. Great. And so I tapped in and then it was like, you know, we got the perfect opportunity for you, your first show. And I'm like, okay, what is it? It was Insecure season five. There you go. So that was my first show in the industry was working on Insecure season five as um, as a sound trainee. So that was my introduction into the TV and film industry, not really knowing what it was or what I was getting myself into. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was like, all right, so I guess we're doing this now. Wherever yeah. it takes me, you know, this is what we're doing. So that's so dope. I, I wouldn't, I would literally never even think of that. Really? <laughs> like, how does the sound get in a commercial? Like, I, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> just because I'm just saying, in terms of like, I think it's dope because, like, yeah. you as a creative, right? Like, yeah. one thing about COVID that I think there were some people who, for sure, like, it was just, it was just shut down. Like it, w- because of what they do, they literally just couldn't, there was no- nothing that they could do, but mm-hmm. you like just being creative and thinking through like, 
how can I use my my skills yeah. and not box them into anything, but just Absolutely. be like, how can I how can I maneuver through this situation and using the skills that I have? Yeah. And just to think of something like that is just crazy. Like I, you know, I think that's just super dope. Thank um you. So talk about what it looks like for you today, um, just both drumming and engineering. And then, you know, uh, you know, gloat on yourself. Talk, you know, highlight some of the people that you work with, you know, oh, some of the cool, the cool opportunities that you've had. And, uh, you know, to the motherfuckers that said you ain't going to be shit, let them oh, know. Oh, man. Right. <laughs> hey, this for them people, man. I, I work with so many different people, man. Issa Rae, Samuel L. Jackson, um, Cardi B. I did Cardi Tries. Um, Megan Thee Stallion, um, football teams of San Diego Chargers. Uh, J. Cole, so many different people, like just, just from doing Tiana Taylor, like I just got to meet so many and just connect with so many different people. Just if people didn't fuck with me from sound, they just fuck with me from just my swag and my personality. Yeah. And like, even like some of the opportunities that I got, I really got them from just my personality and my swag. Like people didn't even know, like, what do you do? You dress like a rapper. Like, what do you, but it's just like, nah, bro, I'm not a rapper. And I'll tell people like, I'm a drummer, but I realized like, in my mind, because I'm a Leo, so I always think big of myself. So Michael Jordan, one thing I like about Michael Jordan is that Michael Jordan gets paid to be Michael Jordan. Before before anything, before he even touches a basketball, you got to pay him just to show up because Michael Jordan, Jordan brand is a brand. It's a household name. So for me, that was a goal. Like, how can you make yourself a brand? I used to want to play drums for Beyonce. I never made it that far. But Beyonce's drummer became my best friend. I was gonna say, yeah, then, exactly right. So when like having that connection to you know one or who her drummer was at the time, um, this this girl by the name of um Nikki Glassbee, shout out to her. That's the homie. Mm-hmm. Um, she just kind of gave me like the game, like what it is, and da 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 da. And after a while, I started to become like less attracted to wanting to do that. After I heard like I really was, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, let me just focus on building my brand. So let me keep the name with the drummer because I need people to know that that's that's my gift. Drumming is my gift. I will always be a drummer no matter what happens. If I need a job, if I need to earn some quick money, I can just go pick up the sticks and make a quick, you know what I'm saying? Whatever, whatever. So Yeah. No, I feel that. I feel that. I love that. I love that. For sure. And um, you know, now talk about last topic before we before we head out. Um, talk about your dating life. What what's 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 the deal? You you single? relationship <laughs> in these in these uh, la streets what's going trying on trying to give me a trouble bro nah. <laughs> nah i ain't gonna i ain't even gonna hold you bro i'm single bro it, mm. i don't oh, shit bro i've been dating a lot of people in la i've been on some interesting dates out here mm-hmm. bro i think it's la women specifically bro they don't like me too much um mm. we don't get along i be feeling like they be feeling like i owe them something you know or maybe they see me as a walking lick or something but i'm i'm despite what it looks like i'm actually a woman of substance yeah like from the south you know i like grits you feel me like i stand on morals and values i now i don't believe in gender roles so i'm never gonna tell a woman like get in there and make me a sandwich and then like that mm-hmm. but it's just like you gotta have more you gotta do more than just look good like i look good too so what mm-hmm. you know what i mean like you gotta be about something like and so far i just i haven't found it everybody just sees the outer appearance and they just go straight for the you need to buy me a bag and whoop and whoop and Oh, uh, uh-huh. like, bro, we, <laughs> we ain't doing that, bro. Like, I can do that if that's what I want yeah. to do. Like, obviously, yeah, I have yeah. the means, but um, like, I'm and if really, we get like, there, it needs to get there. Like, yeah. we got to just, you know, get to the important stuff first. But people just be, I don't know, bro, they just be shallow. So I'll just be chilling, man, just focusing on my relationship with God and 
just making sure my mental is good. I purchased my first home. This is my first home here. Oh, congratulations. Like, thank you. Thank you. So I really just been, you know, just trying to just keep my head down and just sip my drink, you feel me, until the right one comes along. But yeah, I'm chilling, bro. There you go. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Dope, man. Well, before we get out of here, um, one last thing is, uh, you know, give some advice to someone who might be charting their own path, mm -hmm. um, figuring out their life and, and not sure what to do next. What would you tell them? Man, I would just say, first and foremost, um, to thine own self, be true. There you go. If you don't do nothing else, um, do not let people who don't know who they are try to tell you who you are. Because chances are what I notice about, especially LA, you know, I've lived in all different parts of the country. I've even lived out of the country. But here, everything that has gotten me success everywhere else seems to be working against me here, which is really weird. And so at first I, I started to think like, is it me? But it's like, no, it's not me. Like, but LA will make you feel like you're on the wrong path or you're doing something wrong. But you really got to stay true to yourself, um, especially out here. If you're not in LA, stay true to yourself regardless. When people say after high school, they sign your autograph book, don't change for nobody. Yeah. Really, don't change for nobody. Grow and evolve, but stay true to yourself. Stand on something, like, because everybody can be bought with a price. Cassie just got bought for 30 to 50 million. You feel me? But you know what I'm saying? But you got to, you got to stand on something and stay grounded. You feel me? Like you stand on something, you'll always sleep good at night. No matter what yeah. happens to you, you're going to always sleep good because you, you're living in your truth. And that's the freedom that I experience every single day. I'm not obligated to nothing and nobody. Like I retired from the military when I was 26 and that created a foundation and a life for me that most people wish they had. Like, I don't have a nine to five. I don't wake up and go clock in nowhere. I do what I want. I create content for YouTube. I love it. Um, or or whatever else if people want to hire me to do other things I can say yes or I can say no I'm not hurting for nothing but at the end of the day I just I stay true to myself and I think people they don't have no choice but to respect it you know what I mean and those who don't they find out the hard way you know there you go but just for sure stay true to yourself and when you want to do something don't tell nobody don't involve nobody in the plans that you if you want to go join the army if you want to go start a business like don't tell nobody about it because they ain't going to do nothing but either try to talk you out of it or talk shit about it because they're not doing it. Yep. So just tell people about stuff. Real. But other than yeah. that, man, stay true to you and just keep grinding. Don't never stop working and it's going to happen for you. It's bound to. There you go. Um, where can the people find you? For sure. So I'm on Instagram at wit underscore the underscore drummer. So wit the drummer with underscores between each word. Um, I just recently got a TikTok. It's the same at wit underscore the underscore drummer. I don't really post on there like that. Um, also, I'm on YouTube. Same thing at wit underscore the underscore drummer. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Whitney, thank you so much for coming sure. through. Sure. I really appreciated this conversation. Um, yeah. Very, very enlightening. Um, I wish you well in everything that you do. Um, we're both in LA, so I'm sure we'll cross paths. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just super appreciative of you coming on. Thank um, you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Y'all already know it's another episode of the Queerly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley. I'll catch y'all on the next one. Peace.